ever wonder what your therapist is really thinking? Well, that's confidential. But in this podcast, a few of my therapist friends and me show you what it's really like inside of a mental health professional's brain. Hi, welcome to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. I'm Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, board certified counselor. We discuss books, movies, TV shows, motherhood, current events, clinical issues, mental illness, trauma, and our own personal lives. So if you want to know what we're thinking, come on in, take a listen. Come see what the world is like through the eyes of a therapist, the podcast that destigmatizes mental illness, humanizes therapists, and demystifies therapy. Hello, everyone. We're back on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We have two very special guests today. We have Viridiana Sigala and Federico Mendes. We're going to be talking today about being in a PhD program and balancing everything else that goes along with being a clinician. So originally, this idea came from the curiosity that I had and that many of us have about what it's like to have so many things going on as many therapists do, right? So being a therapist is a lifelong learning profession. We are obligated to learn, right? We have to get continuing education credit hours every two years to renew our licenses. We also are curious, I think, by nature. That's probably in a lot of our personalities. And in this helping profession, I think we also have a tendency to want to self-improve and learn more about ourselves and just be better people, be better clinicians. And I think part of that journey for some people who are very brave (laughs) want to go back into higher education and get a PhD or some sort of doctoral degree. And we are here to pick the brains of these two wonderful people who have decided to open up about it on the podcast. And so I want to introduce Federico and Viridiana, and they are here to introduce themselves. Thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. Yes, thank you so much. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves, maybe where you're from, what you like to do, how it's going over there? (laughs) I can go first if, if that's okay. Um, I'm a first-generation Latina. I live here in El Paso, Texas, and I'm not a licensed clinical social worker supervisor in the state of Texas. I'm also a certified family and trauma professional. I'm a trauma therapist by nature. I love trauma and, and how we can make an impact right, in families, especially in the Hispanic and minority communities here in the border region. I am currently the mental health coordinator at a Native American reservation here in El Paso, Texas. It's called Isleta del Sur Pueblo. I've been there six years. My background is clinical, medical, social work, and that's a little bit about myself. And I'm currently in my second year of my PhD in social work in Our Lady of the Lake. Awesome. Yay. So we have a fellow El Pasoan on the podcast and a fellow trauma therapist on the podcast. So Welcome, Vidi. Thank you. And then we have Federico. Go ahead. Yeah, good morning. Thank you for the invite. So my name is Federico Mendez. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapy associate, and I've been in private practice 
for about a year and a half, going on two years now. And I'm I'm originally from Northeast Texas, first generation born, parents from San Luis Potosi, Mexico. And uh, they immigrated back in the 80s, and that's when I was born here. And also the first one in my family to do a bunch of firsts, if you will, first high school graduation, bachelor's, master's, and now I'm in my second year of my PhD program. I am a Bowen Family Systems uh, theorist, if you will. That's kind of my theoretical foundation. So I'm not certified in trauma, but I work with a lot of trauma. Um, right now, principally, I work with veterans and their families. So there's a lot of PTSD, a lot of even complex trauma with that population. So I'd love working with that population. But now that I'm moving to full-time private practice, I really want to concentrate on a different population, and that would be the Spanish-speaking population because there are no resources out there for mental health. And even, you know, I've had different ideas of what to do because, you know, my own lived experience with my own mental health, not having the resources when we needed them. And then now in my PhD program, I'm wanting to focus on providing that and being a beacon of hope, if you will, to our population, our culture, and open up the window to mental health. Yeah, that's great. I think that I relate to that for sure. I remember thinking back whenever I I do these podcasts about, you know, picking people's brains about their inspiration and why they decided to become therapists or pursue higher education, right? And it's like, what inspired you, you know? And it's like, back then, we had limited resources, right? And this was back then, we're not that old, you know? (laughs) Like, 15, 20 years ago, you know, in in the Latino communities that we live in, it's like, it wasn't looking good for us, right? And we, we needed a lot of help, I think. Well, at least I did. And I think that, you know, in El Paso, I can't really remember having, you know, access to quality therapy when I was small. So I think that that was part of my inspiration as well. And so on that note, can each of you tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to go into like a PhD program? Seems like, I don't know, like that's kind of a hard road to choose on purpose, right? Like, <laughs> hmm, I want to torture myself. Just kidding. I want to <laughs> go into a PhD program. Like what is it about the higher level, right, of a doctoral program that maybe you chose instead of staying at a master's level? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think for me, I I concur with Federico and with you, Crystal, as well. Here in El Paso, we definitely have not only health disparities, but mental health disparities, right? We're the border region. And one of the main things when I was in grad school in 2014, I remember that my professors, right, would encourage us, you need to continue further your education, right, and and pursue a PhD so you can be an advocate and, and make social changes. Back then, I didn't think I was going to, right? I I remember that I hated statistics and all the research classes, right? However, now as I continue with my practice, I started noticing how important it is to give our community a voice, right? I, I started noticing that how our Hispanic community tends to have not only poor access to services, but they don't understand what's out there, right? And and I kind of like what Federico was mentioning earlier. For me, it was the first thing for everything, right? I grew up in Juarez and then I moved to El Paso when I was 17 years old. And I remember that I was navigating everything on my own by myself. It was the first graduate from my bachelor's and master's, now the PhD. 
And sometimes families don't understand why, why are you doing this? Why are you torturing yourself? But I think if we can make small changes where we can promote the mental health awareness, right, that we all need, especially here in our community, I think that's one of the main reasons. And my dissertation talks about that. I'm, I'm studying why is it, right, that we're having like lack of awareness, what's needed out there, and it's important. And I think right now we're more aware and we're more open to mental health. So if we can make those changes, why not? Yeah, so for me, it's something similar to what Vidi was speaking about. You know, like I said earlier, well, number one, being the first generation here, and maybe this is generational trauma, if you will, I almost felt like responsible to make my parents feel proud of their quest to even come over here to immigrate to the U.S. And for me to be the firstborn here, I took on the responsibility of proving to them that their immigration was not in vain, if you will. And so, you know, going to get a high school diploma was a first. You know, they have limited education. But even then, it's been a lonely road for sure because their mantra was provide food, work, and that's it, you know. And then I, I was graduating and I was like, well, what's my life after graduation? So then speaking to my parents, they're like, yeah, well, just get a good job and become a supervisor somewhere. And that's like their proud moment. But I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And then that duality of the dominant culture versus the mainstream culture that you live in. Well, I want to do my individual exploration of self too. But at the same time, feeling this emotional pull to honor my parents' wishes as well. I found that that was my own internalized trauma, if you will. So when I give talks about my educational journey, I say, well, my high school diploma, my bachelor's, and even my master's, I want to say, is to make my parents proud that this was not in vain. However, now that I am in a PhD program, now this is for me, because it does open up different doors. And unfortunately, in today's society, if you're not credentialed or not trained or certified in certain things, nine times out of 10, you're not going to be the one chosen to speak to a crowd. And so the more credentials you have past your last name, will open up those doors. And again, that might be even a selfish attainment that I want to seek. And that's okay, because I've never done things for myself. And so I think this kind of solidifies that for me. But it will open up different doors to be able to explore within my culture, how mental health affects it, where to get resources, you know, because even I'm part of different groups in Facebook that are Spanish-speaking therapists. And they're like, well, is there a book for this? Is there a book for depression? Is there a book for families in Spanish? And there's nothing out there. You can Google, you can Amazon search all the things, and there's very nil resources out there. So I've even put it, maybe even my own responsibility to put things out there. Even if I have to contact whoever to translate something, I want to do that because that thing will help someone who's searching for that resource let alone create my own resources as an expert in relationships and working with clients and things like that as I develop even clinically to put things out there as well. But I also run a, a Facebook group for Texas where I invite all the different Spanish-speaking therapists to kind of have a go-to place to network, to connect, because we're so spread out all over the states. You know, I'm in the middle of DFW area, and there's like maybe five that I know of but we never talk to each other. We never see each other. And I was like, if that's here, just in the microcosm of DFW, I can only imagine the state and not having that networking piece there. And, and I got that idea from the Latinx group in California because it's in California, but there's nothing here in Texas for that. It's, you know, 
And so as I'm learning and growing clinically and professionally, I want to solidify a lot of resources, if anything, for our population and culture. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of things that you said in that piece that a lot of us can relate to that are therapists who are from maybe minority groups. I think especially for people who are from the Latino community who come from parents of immigrants. For example, my dad is from Mexico, Coahuila, Torreón, and then my mom was born here in the United States. So I'm like half first generation. But I totally relate to the idea of I didn't want to waste his time and his work ethic and do nothing with my life. That's very black and white thinking, right? Like, of course, I'm not going to do nothing with my life, right? Like I got a master's degree for God's sake, right? But like, I think that that sense of obligation to our parents is definitely there. And that intergenerational almost like pressure, right? Like to do better for the next and for the next and for the next and to build that up, right? And it's almost, I think you're right. I think it is tied to like generational trauma because so much was taken away from us, from our people, right? Like indigenous populations through colonization and all of that. And like, that's probably a whole other podcast episode, but that's true. That's absolutely true. And it continues to happen with the immigration crisis and like, social and political issues that are occurring in our country and racism and colorism and all kinds of stuff that are, that's happening, right? And we can go on and on down that road. But I think it's important to view that and look at that because those are barriers. I think that people, even like master's level therapists, if they wanted to pursue a PhD, maybe they're coming across some of those things. And I'm kind of like putting my hands like this, like they're bumping up into a barrier. So how are you dealing with those things? I know that that wasn't like a question you prepared for, <laughs> but I'm curious about, I guess, how you are like enfrentando like maybe the systemic stuff like oppression or like if you're in a predominantly white institution or like where are you going to school? I know you're going to Our Lady of the Lake and then Federico, where are you going to school? My alma mater, uh, Texas Wesleyan University, and that's in Fort Worth, Texas. Okay, so then I'm kind of just wondering what your experience is like in higher education, just in general, like, if you could describe it, maybe, and I mean, I don't want you to, like, put yourself in a position to call people out or whatever, but maybe you could, because that's part of the advocacy piece of being a therapist or whatever, but it's up to you. I'm just curious about that piece, too, because... Just full disclosure, in my master's program, I was the only Mexican-American person and the only brown person in a cohort of, I think, 10 people. And we were at New Mexico State University, like 40 miles north of here, which is like, what? Right? Like, how did that happen? And the level of microaggressions was just like through the roof. And I was like, what? So that was like hard to deal with for two years, plus the level of like, what you described, Federico, that want of like high competitive, like individuation sort of thing, like that drive that like Western cultures have to like be very individual. That was like killing me because I come from a culture where it's like, let's all share resources and like, let's all like have each other's backs and like study together and like 
not share answers and cheat, but, you know, basically, like, <laughs> you know, like, convivir, you know, and it's like, that was rough. So anyways, that was just at a master's level. So I don't know what it's like for you. So anyways, I will be quiet. <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I think for me, you know, I'm a Latina, mujer, right? So in the border region, I'm very blessed. And I love working here because we are able to relate, right, to my professors, my mentors, or they're Latinas as well. And I started noticing that, you know, unfortunately, our voices were not being heard. As often, right, because women in academia, especially minority communities, quote unquote, right, minority communities, women, right, they're not well represented or equally represented. So I started noticing that and I'm like, that's interesting, right? And then I started looking into pursuing my PhD and Our Lady of the Lake has a wonderful program and they focus on minority communities per se, right? So I really love that. And my cohort right now, we're seven. And only three of us are Hispanic, right? So two of them are males and I'm the only female. And so it was interesting, right, to see that. And I think that it is important to encourage others. And even though, yeah, absolutely, and, and Federico can concur with me, it's really hard, right? It's really hard balancing everything out because you have your full-time job, you have your family, you want to have fun, you want to do stuff. And then on top of everything, you have to do your PhD work, right? So well, I think what works for me is just having that motivation that mi comunidad, they need me, right? And if I can be a voice and if I can make maybe a tiny change, you know, in research, like access to services, mental health services, promoting that awareness, letting them know that it's okay to ask for help, right? It's okay to say, you know what, I don't feel good, right? And I think that thankfully, our president recently, right, they they notice how important mental health is, right? And how it's connected to health and vice versa. Your mental health is important and as important as your physical health. So I like that. And I think as a nation, we're moving more towards understanding and acceptance that mental health is part of who you are because all of us have a brain, right? So I think I really like this movement. And if we can promote that movement within our own community, why not, right? So I think for me, that's key, making sure and letting people know out there, Latinas and Latinos, that it's okay and that you can do it. It's doable, right? Because we all can use our voice and we can use that strength that we have, sharing resources, sharing knowledge, because we are a communal group, right? Like it's all about helping each other and encouraging each other that, hey, si se puede, and we can do it. Oh, yeah, I concur highly with that. And like you spoke of, you know, even having professors that look like you, teaching you and mentoring you, you know, I can only imagine what that shared experience would have, is for you clinically, professionally, and just even personally, even to see someone else being represented and, and having, I guess, like their thumb in the pulse of the movement that you're speaking of. My experience on the other end has been different, I think. So I go to this private school that's situated in a section of Fort Worth that's not in the best areas, if you will. There used to be this area called Stop Six, and that's where Stop Six, where the train, I think, would come and pick up, you know, the homeless around that stop area. And so it kind of kept its name that way. So they situated this university right almost like close to that area, and it's a private school. And so I'm like, well, that's a little odd. Uh, but nonetheless, 
going into a PhD program and eventually getting credentialed, my goal is to go back into academia in some degree to be that face for that student that perhaps needs that mentorship. Even representation, like you speak of, Vidi, um, because that, that does matter. And not only brown person, but even a subculture, the LGBTQ, as I'm part of that population, to see someone be successful, and it's not all bad, and it's all not stigmatized and, you know, the worst of the worst, but you can do something. And if this makes it better for the population, wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, representation matters at all those levels. And I think that it's interesting how I'm hearing that we like all feel this sense of like responsibility, right? Like even me at my master's level, I'm like, there were not very many good mental health providers when I was little. So now I need to go back and study and fill that gap. So that was part of my like vendetta, if you will. And I went and studied mental health and became a therapist. And like part of my like uh, mantra is like, be who you needed when you were little, you know, like be who you needed when you were little. And like, I want to be a really good therapist and a better person and like all of that. And then like, I'm hearing you, Federico, like, be who you needed when you were in higher education, like be who you needed when you were in your master's program. Right. And then like VD too. So it's like, I think when you're in a marginalized group is what I'm hearing is that, especially when you're on the trailblazing end, like on the front end, there's very few kind of like role models and it's, you kind of have to make it on your own and be like the person, like the people and nobody's teaching you any of this, right? Like navigating higher education like what is it like to apply to all these phd programs like i don't even know like how do you even do those things right like i can't even fathom and i always i admit this on another episode like when i was like okay i'm gonna become a therapist i remember thinking okay i just have to get my bachelor's in psychology i'm a therapist like i literally thought that (laughs) i didn't know until one of my professors in college at utep was like no, mija, like, <laughs> you need like a master's degree and you need to like get research experience so that you can get into your master's program and like take the GRE. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what is all of that? So like without these people's help along the way, right? Like I would have never figured it out ever. So we do need to be inserted into these institutions, you know, in the path of people's journeys so that we can guide people and stuff but it's just it's a lot of responsibility like we can't all do it so it's like we also need really good allies so if there are people who are from the white majority cis community that are you know like listening to this who have that social power if you will like that are listening please be a good ally don't do it from white savior complex (laughs) and like help you know use your power for good and don't be an asshole (laughs) I mean I say that because I've met people who I think do it for it seems like they are helping but they're doing it for their own like resume building you know so to speak so that's probably a whole other podcast (laughs) my last question for you both is how do you keep from stressing out to the point of burnout? Because I, I imagine that you're very busy. 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I think as therapists, right, we're always promoting self-care and how important it is. And, you know, however, I think that the three of us can relate to this. We're always taking care of everybody else. And I'm a firstborn, first generation, like a first thing, right? So I always tend to neglect my own self-care, right? And I think as therapists, right, I think all of us have struggled with this before, but it's all about having that time management, right? I mean, I'm a junk professor at UTEP right now, and then I'm mentoring some students because I like sharing knowledge and I want to make sure that I'm normalizing pursuing your education and that it's doable. It is definitely doable. Just doing many different things on the side, you know, but I think it's important, right? It's important for our community to know that it's If I could do it, you can do it. Is it whether, right? Like definitely barriers, like school loans, right? How do I navigate that? How do I apply? What courses I need to take? Like you were saying, Crystal, when I was at UTEP, right? In my master's program, I remember that I had questions, right? About research and how would that look like? That this is so difficult, right? But having someone there with you, that would help you normalize that fear and help you understand that you can do it. And here are the resources. I think that's key, just having your network of people. I still have my mentors, former professors that I still reach out to, you know, um, pretty much almost daily, not only if I have questions or any ethical dilemmas, making sure that I'm doing the right thing or even for personal reasons, right? Like, hey, I'm feeling a certain way. I think it's important to feel that you're not alone in this PhD process, right? Because you feel sometimes that friends and family, they don't understand why you're doing this, right? Or you're like, oh my God, I'm so tired. And they're like, pues sí. <laughs> you know, like you wanted to do this. ¿Quién te, ¿Quién te lo mandó? Esto, right? Like <laughs> you wanted to do this. And just having that support system. I think with our cohort, I have one friend, um, his name is Pedro Hernandez. Hi, Pedro. And He's wonderful. Like we're always on the phone, texting, supporting each other because we understand what we're going through, you know, and I think that's key having that support system because sometimes you don't even have time to breathe. <laughs> and that's reality, right? However, you need to think about what the long-term goal is, you know, so you can keep going every day and completing assignments, homework, your dissertation process. Just that has worked for me. My support system my friends, my family, and doing one thing at a time. Because if I think of the bigger picture, I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to finish, <laughs> right? But I think that's so important as a Latina, like just having that support system in place. Very well said, Vridi. I think, yeah, that emotional support, you know, I, I think when we get all busy and everything, we tend to neglect, like you said, neglect our own self-care. And we have to almost reel the wheels back and say, whoa, 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 where where am I going? I'm feeling a certain way. I'm getting resentful. I'm getting what frustrated, whatever. You know, those are high indicators that, hey, something's going on. And we're taught to almost even dismiss those parts of ourselves too, you know. But, you know, I, I've heard this phrase before, you know, God will show you who God is, right? And I use that to kind of metaphorically in that your body will let you know or, or will break down and you'll be in the hospital before you know it. If you don't take care of it, you know, it's going to let you know when something's up. But definitely pay more attention to that, I think, and taking time to reflect on that on a daily basis, because you can get up at eight o'clock in the morning, get rushed and you have to do X, Y, Z things all through this day. And then you sometimes you don't eat. Sometimes, you know, um, it's like eight o'clock and you're barely getting home and all these different things. Fortunately, I don't have any children and I can only imagine having children 
small children at that going through this kind of process. But um, even just in the relationship, because I get so busy with everything and, and our roles have changed throughout time with my husband. But I think without his support, without him just hearing me out, hugging me when I need a hug and things like that, I probably would not be able to do this long term because I'd probably be in some psych ward on medication or something, you know? <laughs> so, but yeah, that emotional support is so key to to our progress, not only personally, but even in community, like you said, seeking those connections and that networking. Yes. And if I may add a little bit more to that, um, Federico, you said it really well, um, family, right? And, and I think sometimes we don't see it, right? When we're feeling like a certain way, but like your husband, right? He notices and he's there for you. The same for me here at home. If if my husband sees me that I'm kind of like more snappy or estoy enojándome más, whatever the case may be, right? Like he tells me like, hey, I'm noticing this. And as a clinician, right? As therapists, all of us, how important it is to acknowledge our own mental health and how important it is to promote that awareness and say like, you know what? Yes, I'm feeling angry because I have a million things going on, right? And thank you for letting me know, right? And I'm not going to take it personal because I know that you're there to help me. So thank you for mentioning that, Federico. Yeah, for sure. But then also, you know, when I do stuff for myself, you know, I like to go to concerts, comedy shows, things like that. Whenever I don't have a client and I can get away or it's a day that everybody canceled. Oh, I'm taking this day and I'm loving it. I'm going to be outside. I'm going to enjoy the sun. So just those little things, I think, adds to that self-care when everything gets so overwhelming at times. Yeah, those are nice things. I can imagine just being out in the warm sun, like drinking a coffee or something. Like, oh, that sounds so good right now. <laughs> yeah. I have one last question for you. I said that that was the last question, but I lied. <laughs> um, Some of the audience, as I had mentioned to you before we started recording, are people who are like therapists in training or people who are interested in becoming therapists or even psychologists, right? And so... If you could give them any sort of like advice, you know, what do you think that would be to the young therapist or to the therapist that's in like pre-contemplation phase, right? Like before they even commit to this process or if they're considering going into a PhD program even, like what would be some of the things that you would want them to consider along their journey? Yeah, that's a really good question, Crystal. I think, you know, there's... In our community, I, I'm sure that you've all seen it um, in other therapists, Latino, Latinx communities, right? Like they associate mental health with a psychologist, right? And which is true, right? Psychology is one of like the most important mental health professions that we have. However, promoting that awareness, right? That LPCs can provide therapy, LCSWs, LMFTs, right? We have a kind of like different mental health professions per se, right? And promoting that in our communities, how important that is. Sometimes for me personally, when I I had a small private practice two years ago before I started my PhD, and I remember that I would receive referrals from primary care physicians, right? Or schools, and I would introduce myself and they would be like, well, you're a clinical social worker? Like, uh, no, I want therapy. And I would provide that psychoed, right? Like, Yes, but uh, this is what it looks like, right? So I think what, what I do in school right now with my students is promoting that awareness that there's different mental health professions and all of them are valuable and you have different options, right? If you want to become an LPC, go and talk to an LPC. If you want to become an LMFT, go and talk to an LMFT or a clinical social worker 
or a psychologist, right? What would that look like? And for social work, I can speak for myself, like you need to continue, you graduate with your master's and you have two years of clinical supervision and then you take another exam with the state, right? So there's definitely things that we don't know, right? Until we ask. So there's definitely something that if anyone is interested in becoming a therapist, if you are interested in that, I mean, we're here for you and you can reach out to us. I'll be more than happy to answer any questions. I know it seems like, oh my God, I don't want to get a master's or oh my God, like a PhD, right? But we all have different reasons why we want to pursue and further our education, right? As far as my PhD, I think for me, the most important thing is hopefully close and eliminate some of the barriers and gaps in mental health disparities in my community, in the Latino community, because I think it's important, right? It's important and it's okay for us to promote that and to give our community a voice and to let them know that it's okay to reach out for help. I think it's just community awareness, right, as well. But if anyone is interested in pursuing their education, we're here for you. It's doable. Yes, thank you, Vidi, for that. And very good question, too. You know, uh, I was asked to speak to a group of 11th graders, kind of 12th graders, like they were fixing to graduate, and they had like career day and things like that. And so talking about becoming a, a marriage and family therapist, why did I choose that? You know, going into this journey, kind of like I can just get a bachelor's and be a therapist and move on. Because I had the other route of, well, I need to be a psychologist. And that's like, going to medical school and like becoming a doctor. And I don't want to do 14 more years. I've already done 12 and I don't want to go that route. And so I was like, what, you know, what's my life? But nonetheless, through my education journey, I think, well, one, you know, what's the drive? What's behind the seeking of higher education? What does it mean to you? Because socially we're conditioned to go to a four-year university, get a bachelor's degree and then get a career. You know, for being a therapist, though, you need a master's degree because then you can get a license because there's an educational component to that license. And then, of course, the continued education that goes along with it, because in your graduate education, you're only taught textbook stuff and theories and founding fathers and all these different things. But they don't really teach you anything else, you know, like business or self-care stuff or anything, because that is kind of like a byproduct of this profession. But definitely, you know, what's the motivation behind wanting to help someone else, especially in our culture where mental health is not talked about or it's like, tienes el mal ojo or get over it, just buckle up, go to work and things like that. And fighting those kind of barriers to that. And, you know, with this movement, like we spoke about earlier, mental health is coming to light and that people do get sad. People do get anxious. People do have uh, relationship problems and all these different things and all of that having a root in mental health and to help someone else kind of overcome that, it does also take a personal journey of your own with your own work, right? That you don't get hung up with anything in particular. So continuing to do your own work while attaining the education and licensure, because as a marriage and family therapist, there is a relationship component to the license too, to be able to provide therapy to couples or families to finally get those 3,000 hours to get the full license. And it does take time, right? Actually, speaking of, because I've been part-time clinically, I've already come up to my two years and now I have to renew and I'm still halfway done with my hours. So I'm like, oh my gosh, when am I going to finish these 3,000 hours? So it is a commitment for sure and discipline, determination to see that thing through. Because once I get fully licensed, then I'm kind of like, you're not going to be managed anymore. You're not going to be supervised or, you know, down to anything like that for the license. Mm -hmm. 
because I'm I'm slowly learning even the business aspect of things. Yeah, you know, that's I'm huge. not going to go into business to be poor either. But then I don't want to be <laughs> yeah, that, for sure. that duality of I want to service my yeah. population too, you know, mm-hmm. and, and my culture, my people, my yeah. familia. Mm-hmm. And how do I balance that? You know, that I'm going to be charging someone to help them. And where does that fit within my realm of my helping profession and my persona as a person? So all of these different things, you know, of course, you know, it's a journey day to day, baby steps, I think, because it can become overwhelming at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I just had a flash of like, I was asked for a quote the other day to do a speaking engagement. And I told them my full fee and they didn't respond. (laughs) And I was like, but I'm not gonna like, move it, you know, and I, the girls got to eat. I'm just saying like, uh, I have to pay the bills, like, I'm not gonna reduce it. Like, yeah, it's a struggle. The business part is hard. It's mindset, I think, too. And that, I think, goes back to, like, our that's that pull, right, between our culture and, mm-hmm. like, the capitalist thing. Like, how do you navigate between? Because they are kind of opposite a little bit. Yeah, that's so hard. It's rough. Rough out here. Because <laughs> they're, like, ideological things. It's not just, like, oh, it's so easy. Like, let's just seamlessly, like, you know, move into these roles. It's like, Mm -hmm. I think it's so much deeper for people who come from cultures like ours. Anyway, where can we find you? Do you have a website? Like if people want to seek services with you or hire you for like speaking or something, tell us where people can find you. Well, for me, I I do have a Facebook page. It's called Viridiana Sigala. LCSW, Licensed Clinical Social Worker. It's on Facebook. So like I was mentioning earlier, I had a private practice two years ago. Because of my PhD, I decided and because of my own sanity, right? I, I put that on hold. However, I, I want to continue doing that after I graduate. So I'll definitely take some clients in the future. I'll be more than happy to share my email with you. Um, I don't know if you want me to say it right now, Crystal, or you would post it on your, on your page. But there's definitely ways to reach out to us. Yeah, I can post it on my page below or people can reach out to me through mm-hmm. Instagram and anything that I get through Instagram, I can forward yes, it to definitely. you all. Mm-hmm. And then Federico, tell us where people can find you. Yeah, perfect. I do have a website because my practice right now is part time because I am working on five for the benefits and things like that. And then I go to school full time and da 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 full time. But um my business is called uh, Intimacy and Counseling and Consulting, and you can find me at www.intimacycc, as in catcat.com, and that's where you can get a, an appointment and what have you, read all about me and my ways of doing therapy, what have you. I also just recently started concentrating or focusing on TikTok and using that to kind of put psychoed out there in Spanish, and you can find me at Intimacy Counseling on TikTok. I also have a Facebook page, intimacy.cc on Facebook, if you can definitely Google me there. I do also run the Texas Latinx Providers Facebook page where we have over 100 members now. So I think two years since I created that, all these people have come together and that's a place for networking. But definitely, um, yeah, you can definitely share my email. I think I've shared it with you before and we can definitely use that as well. So. Awesome. I will link everything that was mentioned right now below in the description. If you scroll down to whatever you're listening on, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, if you scroll down, you'll be able to see all those links. And 
read more about our guests and you can reach out to my Instagram page at through the eyes of a therapist pod and read more about them. Any final thoughts before we go? No, I just want to say thank you for creating this space, Crystal. I think it's key for Latinx therapists and for our clients, for our community. Thank you so much for taking the time and for inviting us. And just a message for all the, for our community, that whatever you dream of is doable. And we're here to support you and guide you through the process because we're part of the same community. And it's okay to be scared, but si se puede and we all can do it together. So true. So true, Vidi. And yes. Like she said, si se puede, and it takes just baby steps, you know, not try to conquer the world and everything all at once because it does get overwhelming. But thank you again for having us on here. Uh, I do appreciate your, your time here. And, and definitely, I think um, more conversations to come, is, if anything, from this, as clinically we move ahead and, and you expand even your audience, hopefully we can be a little beacon of hope for them the listening. And definitely, we're a big familia. Why not? Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And please connect with me, Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor on Instagram at Through the Eyes of a Therapist pod. More information about booking me for therapy or training can be found there. Until next time, keep on fighting the stigma and go to therapy. I'll see you next time.